This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. The Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. I am Craig Hoffman. He is Logan Paulson. Happy Snow Day, Logan. Happy Snow Day, man. My kids are stoked, man. They're going to be going crazy today so i'm sure uh i it's the snow i don't feel like driving in it so i'm probably not going to ashburn at two o'clock uh to to meet adam peters but uh that is when he will meet the press today two o'clock as we record this on tuesday morning so if you're listening a little bit later and you're like hey it's almost two o'clock uh turn your radio over to 1067 the fan or the team 980 and we will have adam peters press conference live of course starting at 4 p.m I will be on your radio on the Team 980 with full reaction, or uh, if you happen to be listening to this after all of that and you want to hear uh, the, the press conference, you can rewind in the free Odyssey app, or you can check out the podcast of Chris Russell's show or of Grant and Danny uh, for the presser and, of course, my reaction to the Hoffman Show podcast feed. All right, that is enough of the housekeeping. Let's get right to it. And, Logan, people did hear some of what we had to say on this over the weekend as you joined the show on Friday and we put that here in the take command feed but high level um let's let's kind of recap a little bit they got Adam Peters we talked about three weeks ago this this felt incredibly unlikely because we all thought Peters and the kind of the word around the league was Peters is going to stay in San Francisco he didn't hesitate he came here he signs a five-year deal and uh he didn't even interview anywhere else I, I think that's a Big, big deal. Like, no matter what happens, I think this is a major, major win for Washington just on those facts alone. Yeah, no, I think absolutely. I think we're all really excited. And when you talk to people familiar, I think, you know, uh, the relationship and understanding of what the new ownership was going to be for him here, I think, and what that opportunity would provide, I think is, and it's something that we talked about. It's something everyone in the area has talked about, but I think it's a big deal. You know, I think having that new ownership group in and having people that are, you know, that at least for the first year with Ron have abided by their word and done the right stuff and are not going to be, um, you know, super uh, kind of hands on, you know, like their team. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Meddlesome. Like you hate a meddlesome owner. 
I think that's a big deal. I think that's a huge deal for a guy who's looking to kind of spread his wings and leave a great situation in San Francisco. So obviously, like I think he's got, we, we're going to talk about this probably more. He's got a lot of work to do in terms of kind of roster development, roster evaluation, and and building this thing back up. But I think it's an exciting opportunity uh, to get him here, a guy that, you know, by all account, like literally anybody you talk to has only positive things to say about him in terms of his professionalism, his talent evaluation, like his skill and talent evaluation and, and his experience. So I think it's a great hire. And obviously, does that mean we're going to you know win the Super Bowl next year like Houston or win a playoff game like Houston? No, but I think it's it's a good foundational piece that's and again, it's like one of those things where like I'm super process driven, you're super process driven. This is good process, getting a good candidate getting him in the building, getting him hired and getting him to move out here from San Fran and leave a winning organization. So I think it's, I'm really excited. And again, it's the first piece. There's a lot of other things that need to fall in place, but um, good, good start to the off season and good start for Josh Harrison and the leadership group here. Yeah, without question. By the way, later in the show, we will take a look at all the playoff games for the weekend and kind of glean some things off of them in terms of team building, for instance. So uh, we'll yeah. talk about some of that work to do as things go and as well as obviously the head coaching hire. But I think, you know, with Peters, like this signifies Washington is back as a crown jewel organization. Like, does that mean he's going to succeed? Absolutely not. And obviously, if all of a sudden we're five years from now looking at Josh Harris sideways and like, you know, he's the next David Tepper, like we're in a we're in a bad spot still. And, and the glean and the shine of the organization will be, again, potential and, and sleeping giant and all that kind of stuff versus, you know, what we think of it right now. But again, even if he is, if, if Adam Peters turns out that assistant GM is where he belongs, that is the highest step on, on the ladder, that when he goes and runs his own ship, it doesn't work. The fact that they got him to sign here before they even, he was even willing to go interview anywhere else, that Black Monday was Monday and they hired him on Friday, tells you what people think of this organization. And, yeah. you know, I had Scott Pioli on the show on Friday. Uh, Scott actually hired Adam. Uh, for his first job in New England, so some cool stories there. But he talked about how you know he grew up a New York Giants fan. This is a guy that you know built the the first part of the Patriots dynasty along with Belichick, and he has so much respect for Washington as an organization. And I and I think that's a credit in large part, Logan, to the fans. Like yeah. the fans, many of whom were like, "I'm out as long as the Snyder fellas here." came back and we saw, you know, the party that we threw with the radio stations, the the Burgundy and Soul party. We saw the sellouts early in the season. People saw how people showed up for that, and and the history obviously speaks for itself. And I think that's part of the appeal. Like, it just is. And, you know, of course, the ownership group itself matters. And if Josh Harris was Josh Harris and, and had all these partners and went and bought, I don't know, the Carolina Panthers, um, a team that is barely, actually not even 30 years old yet. It was, it was founded in the early 90s and started play in 95. Um, like, would he have left... San Francisco for Carolina with the same owners, maybe. But I think that this, like that little no. bit of prestige, that that element of this sleeping giant of a fan base and what DC is as a city, like it matters. And and I think that, you know, when you look at the Dallas Cowboys, for instance, right? And you watch the the games over the weekend and Tony Romo's the, the A announcer on one and Jimmy Johnson's on the pregame show and, um, you know, Troy Aikman's the A announcer on the other like, if you're something with this organization, with Washington, you can be that too. You know, because also, like, RG's uh, uh, on the Monday night show. And, yeah. you know, for a long time uh, in the early 2000s, like, Joe Theismann was the lead analyst on Sunday Night Football. And, like, 
I think if you're Adam Peters and you're trying to build this thing back up, you know that if you succeed on to the level that you want to, like you become an NFL legend. And that's pretty freaking cool and something that will peel you away from a place in San Francisco or, by the way, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah, no, I think you said everything there, right? I think it's it's the... It's the prestige. Like I heard uh, somebody say this. I think it was Bram. Bram Weinstein was like, you know, basically you get the opportunity to be bronzed, you know, like you get to be the opportunity to kind of get everybody, get this organization, get the city back on track. And I think there's 100 percent merit to that. And I think uh, it's is it an easy job? Absolutely not. But is there an opportunity here to do something really, really special, get supported by uh, I think and I think we can't overstate, you know, you said, oh, like he doesn't go out and interview for other positions, right? I think you got to give credit to the ownership. I think they understood what it was going to take to keep him here. I think financially they understood what it was going to take to keep him here. They made that happen. I think that's all important to understand. And, and, and so great job by them. But it's also like this job is a big deal. You know, like you get kind of a clean slate. And there's very few times where a GM gets a clean slate like that. You know, you have all this cap space. You have all this draft capital. You have the second overall pick. And, you know, usually you're going to jobs like where it's like, I don't have all these resources. I imagine taking the job out in LA right now with the chargers. They have zero cap space. They're not really picking high in the draft. Like it's a mess. And I don't, you know, but here this, this opportunity, like from a logistics standpoint, from an opportunity standpoint, from an ownership standpoint, just seemed like the right fit. And I think that's why, you know, he, he does leave ultimately does leave San Fran and, and the opportunity looks like a, like a good one, you know, but again, I, I think it's important to just acknowledge Josh Harris and, and that group's commitment to understanding who they were dealing with and making sure he was in the building. Yeah, can you imagine if you were like a house flipper and you had to spend $6.1 billion on a house and then you had to pay all the money to actually renovate it? Because that's kind of yeah. what Josh Harris is doing. But right. um, it's a good reminder that, well, Josh Harris uh, obviously spent a lot of money on all of this. This ownership group is worth $50 billion. And yeah. uh, that makes it a lot easier to pay Adam Peters and pay the head coach and pay their staffs. like. Money's not going to be an issue here, even though they just spent $6.1 billion on the team. Um, because it is, while it is Magic Johnson and Mitchell Rails and, and Josh Harris predominantly, um, there's all those limited partners that they can pull cash from if they want to. Um, and that, that becomes really important because a lot of those folks are like, you know, worth over $10 billion and just bought a tiny piece. But it's like, hey, we need, we need uh, whatever million a year to, to, get Adam Peters and someone's like, okay, I'll go search my couch cushions. must be nice. <laughs> um, on the football side of it, um, I think what I really love about Peters is like he helped build the San Francisco team, helped build the Denver team before that, yeah. the New England team before that, um, you know, kind of the best teams of, of the last, you know, 25 years he's been yeah. a part of. Uh, Denver went to obviously two Super Bowls with Peyton and, and that was a big part of it, but that was a good team. Like that was a great roster. Yeah. That New England roster um, you know, that he helped build. Obviously, he was a much smaller part of that way down the, the ladder at the time. But, you know, he helps find some of the guys that that helped them go into that 2007 season, right? Um, yeah. That they, They're the best team in the league and they actually don't win the Super Bowl because um, they get upset by the Giants. And then obviously, he's a huge part of the San Francisco. But there's a toughness to all of those teams, even the Denver teams. Like, we remember them as the Peyton Manning Super Bowl teams. But there was a toughness to those teams and how they played. That is exactly, I think, what you and I have been talking about the past couple of weeks of what's been lacking here and also what wins currently and, and forever in the NFL, despite how uh, the league has changed schematically or pass right. run, emphasis on this, emphasis on that. That toughness always is the through line, and, and he's built tough teams before, and I think that's really exciting. 
Yeah, and I think like you know we'll talk about this more when we talk when we review the playoff games like we just discussed. Like I think there is there's so many qualities that those that those really good teams have. Like they're tough guys, love football. They've found really talented pieces, and the other thing is they seem to be really interwoven with the coach's vision of of what of what the expectation is for the team. And so I think that's something that again like. It's going to be tough. And I think, you know, everyone's like, well, what's he going to do with the second overall pick? What's he going to do in free agency? I think that conversation, if I, based on what people have said about him, you know, is not going to start in earnest until the head coach gets here. Because you got to understand what the coach's vision is and if that aligns and how you kind of supplement and find pieces to fit that. So I think that's going to be a huge part of, of, the, of the team process. But yeah, like the toughness in San Fran, especially this year. Like, I mean, it's almost like they've, they've, they've flipped a gear. They're like, man, we, maybe that's the addition of Christian McCaffrey. I don't know. But like this, this commitment to running the football, playing violent defensively, um, you know, talk about, you know, what the, you talk about what the, um, what the Denver Broncos were. I mean, offensively, they were pretty flash. They had a lot of explosive plays, but defensively they were awesome in terms of being a physical, tough downhill tackling group. And again, like that fits the vision of that team at the time. And so, but even, think- even offensively, like Demarius Thomas was a big, tough son of a gun. Like Emmanuel Sanders, like as a tough yeah. slot receiver, like that's what I think of when I think of a guy like Emmanuel Sanders, who was a part of that team. Julius Thomas, yeah. their tight end. Like they, there was, again, it's not like the physical brute toughness that they had defensively, but there, there was, a, there was still a toughness mentally and kind of approach wise to them that I think was pretty, pretty present. And I guess that what I'm saying is I think offensively that's more reflective of Peyton Manning. You know, Peyton yeah. Manning at the time in terms of his offensive vision. But I, again, like they've found the pieces, right, to make right. that all work together. And you got to get the right personalities. You got to get the right people in there. And I think that's ultimately like what you're looking at. Like I think Houston this year is such a fascinating case study, and we'll talk about that more later. But again, finding tough pieces finding young pieces, developing young pieces. And when you look at all of those teams, there's a lot of talent developed in-house. Like I look at San Fran, you got George Kittle, and George Kittle was going to be good from day one. Like I was there with him his rookie year, and I was super impressed the second he stepped on the practice field, just like this dude's got it. But for how good he got, like how the development that they saw there, Brandon Ayuk's development there, Debo Samuel's development there, some of those young offensive linemen, the defensive line, the linebackers, Fred Warner's development. Like it's – you're getting the right pieces, but then also having the ecosystem to develop those players. And I think that's why like GMs at a really important hire, right? That talent evaluation is so, so critical, but making sure that fits in a structure where those guys are going to develop is, is pretty outstanding. So again, like it's so early with, 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 with Adam Peters and all what he's going to do. But like, I think the next big step is the one I'm kind of most – he's probably going to talk about today at the press conference is is the coach and, and what he's looking yeah. for and, and the vision for that. So, um, In the NFL, how much of player development is on the GM front office and how much is on the coaches? Like how much of it is structural? Because I, I, I've looked at this more in the NBA, um, but it's something that I've definitely thought of more recently in the NFL, and I don't feel like I really know the answer. I also feel like it probably changes organization to organization to an extent, but like in the good ones – how much of that is the head coach structuring practice a certain way that young guys get reps or whatever versus kind of it coming down from on high that like this is a priority and here are the the pieces in place uh, and the resources to make sure that we actually develop our young talent. That's a great question. You know, in terms of like who's who's making that uh, making that assertion, making that assessment. I, you know, like when I was in um, when I was in Atlanta, for example, you know, something I always associated with Dan Quinn was like we had like a youth period at the end of practice where 
if you wanted to stay, you could do, they would go through like team run script or seven on seven script and they would throw the football around a little bit and get everybody who wasn't playing for the weekend reps, reps in, in the offense. And I think like, and the coaches would stay out and they would coach those guys. And, you know, maybe that was the GM's prerogative at the time. You know, Scott Pioli was on that staff and like, that's something I know Belichick does a lot of, or he was, he's kind of notorious for doing. Uh, but again, I don't know. And I think like, Whatever it is, I think having a coach that understands the importance of talent development, but also I do think like that's a great point. I never even thought about it, that the GM could be like, hey, man, like, let's make sure player X is coming along the way we want him to come along. I think is an extremely valid point, you know, and I think like in San Fran, for example, that that to me is Kyle, like that, that youth development is Kyle because of Kyle's attention to detail. But I also think it's just good, sound football process. And I think like in in this Adam Peters led organization, football organization, I can't imagine it not being a huge part of his vision in terms of hiring the coach, like getting someone that understands how important that is, is going to be paramount. Cause again, look at all the teams in the playoffs right now, like Detroit lions, the green Bay Packers, even um, the LA Rams to a certain extent, like they are developing young pieces at a very, very high level so that you're not leveraging these free agent decisions, these draft decisions too crazily. So I think like, yeah, finding, and I don't know the answer to this, but, Whatever that is, whoever's leading yeah. that ship, I'm sure it'll be like a, you know, like a good, uh, a good opportunity to kind of just say, hey, like if I'm hiring a guy, if I'm Adam Peters hiring a coach, that's something I want to prioritize in addition to a myriad of other things. But yeah, I think right. that's that's a great point, Craig. Um, and it's something that in the NBA is different because they have like play, they literally have like a player development staff, like they have player oh, development really? coaches, yeah. Um, and it's a part of the staff where it's like you know, and and every. Every player in the NBA has their own assistant coach. Um, now, like, obviously, assistant coaches have multiple guys, so it's not like a one-to-one ratio. Right. Um, but it's like three-to-one, maybe, um, or one-to-three. Seriously, like it's, that's yeah, incredible. Because the way the staffs have grown over the years. And so you have, like, with the Wizards, there's a guy, you know, like Zach Guthrie is one of their assistants. And Zach works with, like, three or four of the guys. And, like, he'll work with Denny Avio one-on-one, and they watch tape. And, like, he's kind of responsible for Denny's development. That's cool. And, you know, you see uh, that that in really good organizations, young players develop. And um, Oklahoma City is kind of notorious for this. But whether it's watching tape or whether it's the individual skill workouts that happen pregame or at practice or, you know, on a whatever, on an off day or, a, you know, they have like a, a detailed, tailored development plan for what they want, workout plans and stuff for how they get there, the, those player development coaches. like and, and they could be assistant coaches who like work during the game as well. So in many ways, it's like your position coach um, mm-hmm. in the NFL, but they also are working in conjunction in good organizations with the front office for like this long-term plan. And the Wizards have talked a lot. And obviously, like no one really wants to hear about the Wizards right now because they've just lost to the Pistons and who's the worst team in the league and like the wizards are the second worst team in the league, but like long term, they have all these very advanced metrics and very specific things that they're working on. And those are front office driven. And I think Mm -hmm. that if you, you know, could apply some of those same concepts to the NFL, I think that would be really interesting. And like, you know, you look at a wider, like for instance, one of the the things they're tracking, and I promise I'm not going to get on a basketball tangent here, but like they're tracking percent rebounds that Daniel Gafford grabs so their center when he's on the floor does he get 20 percent of all available rebounds Mm -hmm. and could you take something like that that is non-score related very individualized to a wide receiver you know do you win 68 percent of your routes do you you know as as a pass protector like do you win x 
And like, do you have a plan to make sure that the individual skill development is there? And it's hard because the NFL, there's 53 plus practice squad, 90 in the off season when most of the year happens, by the way, um, you know, versus 12 to 18 uh, of an NBA roster with G League guys, two-way guys, whatever. Um, so yeah, it's just, I'd, I'd be fascinated to talk to a coach or a GM about that in great detail because yeah. I think the level of detail is certainly not as high in the NFL, but that's not, it's not because they're dropping the ball. It's because it's so much harder with 90 guys versus 18. Yeah. And I, you know, like when you're talking to people at the combine, you know, scouts, uh, GM front office people, like they do use those metrics in their evaluation, but I think it's interesting, kind of a compelling thought. Like, could you find coaches that are good at saying, Hey, like we really value separation rate for receivers. Like that's a thing we want to like really pursue in terms of talent evaluation, but is there anybody that can develop those skill sets here? Right. Right. Develop those opportunities here. And like, uh, you know, talking with previous staffs that have been here, previous staffs I've been on, like they do have interesting kind of more traditional development process. Like, you know, like when people say, Oh, let's get the guy to play special teams. There's something to that. You're kind of building a, toughness of mentality when the guy plays teams and then transitions to something more but could you do something more specific right we mentioned like the post-practice stuff and again like that's you're just running through practice you're coaching the offense right but what if i said hey man we got this young guy he's 6'5 240 we want him to see if we can kind of develop him as that f tight end what are some specific things we can track with regards to that individual and again i i'm sure there are some teams that do variations of that but I don't yeah. think anything as specific of that. And that's really cool to hear the basketball thing. And I think like that, I think that's something that definitely could be implemented, not maybe at a, at the scale you're talking about in the NBA, but kind of more like, Hey man, like this is our practice review. And instead of saying, Oh, you know, this guy ran the wrong route. It's like his separation percentage was X today. And we really, we're really fired up about that. we got to keep that going in terms of encouraging that skill set. So potentially, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, Definitely, definitely would be interesting. But I also think to your point, like some of that just comes from the coaches themselves, making sure that they coach the young guys as hard right. as they coach the guys who start. Because right. NFL coaches are right here, right? Like they're what's right in front of me. How how can we win today? Um, and if you're Kyle Shanahan and you're so detail oriented that when you have your youth period, you're just as locked in as when, um, you know, just as locked in as when you have uh, your starters out there, then that's going to obviously help develop players as well. Yeah. And I also think like finding those guys that are very coachable and like fit your culture is a thing. Like, you know, they were talking, I was listening to a podcast today talking about the Detroit lions. And I think the thing about the Detroit lions is so interesting is they've got a whole bunch of guys that are passionate about football. And when you get guys that are passionate about football, it doesn't really matter how good they are at football, but if they're super passionate about it, like they will get better, you know? And I think yeah. that's something that people often overlook, you know, in the scouting process. And I think the teams are getting better about identifying these guys, but like, how much do they love ball? And like, it is a thing. And it's a thing that lets you say, Hey, this guy is, is this now, but he lives, breathes, eats, sleep football and becomes super passionate. I was talking to somebody um, at the last, at the last com at the last combine. Yeah, that's right. About development and what he looks for. And he's like, obviously you look for height, weight, speed, but the thing that I look for probably the most is how much do they love football? Because if they love it, they're going to develop. And I think that there is a lot in terms of what you're looking for in terms of evaluating guys and getting those guys in the building to say, this guy is not the fastest guy, not the strongest guy. He's kind of middle of the pack from these measurable standpoints, but he comes in the building at 6 a.m. in college and he's studying tape and he's going to get better and he's going to fit our 
organizational identity. And I think that's where you, you've identified somebody as a GM, right? Or a talent evaluator that has the, has the, the, the foundation in place to, to develop in some of those areas, which I think is, is again, like it's talk about the role of a GM, like that's a huge part of it as well. So no doubt about it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Again, Adam Peters press conference today, 2 p.m. You can, this is, of course, Tuesday. It's a podcast. Maybe you're listening on Wednesday, in which case it was yesterday. But Tuesday at 2 p.m., uh, you can listen to it live on the Team 980. Logan, that leads us then to Adam Peters' next task, which is finding a head coach. And a lot of the candidates were playing this weekend or coaching this weekend, I should say. So let's go through the playoff games and let's take a look at a couple things. How these teams were built and if there's any of the coaching candidates uh, that we need to talk about, let's talk about them. And the first game of the weekend is someone that I think we need to talk about. Bobby Slowick is the mm. offensive coordinator for the Houston Texans who thrashed the Browns 45 to 14. That was, whew, and I know that there's a, a pick six or there was a two pick sixes two, in this game, I think. Sixes, yeah, yeah, so it's not like the offense went out and put up 45. Um, but still, they went out and put up a lot. They still went out and put up 31 against the defense that was supposedly the best in the NFL. And I was so impressed with what they do schematically. Like, mm. they're, how they run it, how they then leverage their play-action fakes. Like, they do it right. And, you know, obviously, Slowick is part of that 2013 Washington staff. And it was really interesting Friday on the radio. I had Nick Wagner on the ESPN uh, San Francisco 49ers reporter and listening to him talk about Slowick and covering him sounded like what I used to tell people about Sean McVay back in 2015, mm. 2016. I think Slowick's the real deal. Um, you you played for him, so you yeah. can, you obviously know more than me. But watching what he's done with C.J. Stroud and, and this offense and hearing kind of how he is, I think he should be a real contender to be in the mix here with Ben Johnson, with you know Dan Quinn, with whoever else that Washington is going to interview. And I think if he's like as real deal as everyone says, who's talked to him, he's going to interview extraordinarily well, and he's going sure. to be head coach somewhere. Yeah, I mean, you know, when I knew Bobby, he was 23. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's been a while since, and so seeing Bobby's kind of meteoric rise feels like, you know what I mean? Like, I know he's been slogging through the NFL. He worked at PFF for a little bit. Like, um, it's pretty fantastic. But, like, let's get back to the scheme real quick. And so, obviously, it's Kyle's offense, you know, but I right. do think it's important to know that like when you watch when I watch this game and when I watch Houston over the course of the season, like CJ Stroud's impact on that team cannot be overstated. Like the first third down they have, like there's a free runner to the quarterback. He sits in there, finds Nico Collins for a big play. Great job. Next drive, the next big play they have almost plays exactly the same way. So, you know, like talking about guys elevating offenses and the X's and O's are, are big elevators. And I love how they don't leverage the offensive line, but ultimately you got to get guys to go out and make plays, you know. And I think like we talked about that a lot here with Sam Howell, you know, and Sam Howell, like how early in the season he was elevating the offense, making plays. Um, and 
this is what Stroud's done for them. You know, and when you hear D'Amico Ryan's talk after the game about how much they lean on him, how much they rely on him, like it just shows you the importance of that position. So as much as Bobby is doing tremendous stuff and like you love the sequence of play, and it's again, like they're not doing anything unique. You know, there are teams that run similar concepts. Like you watch similar concepts, similar execution, but it's the players that come to life. And again, it goes back to something we talked about with the GM stuff. Like Nico Collins develops into a true one. Right in free agency, they identify Dalton Schultz, and he comes in and has been very productive for them. Brevin Jordan, the guy that they drafted in the fifth round three years ago, has an explosive play for them on a nothing play. Like talk about scheme, it's just a keeper. He's the flat control. You get the ball to him, and that's what happens when you have playmakers at different levels and the quarterback elevates. So it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I think Bobby deserves a lot of credit, and I think Bobby deserves probably credit in this area more than anywhere else is the fact he was able to teach this stuff in a yes. year is the thing that is really definitive. Oh, so exciting. it can be done. Yeah, I guess so, right? And again, like they have the quarterback in place, right? They have yes. they have that that ultimate piece. And I don't think anybody thought CJ Stroud was going to be this, but man, like he does some really spectacular stuff. And he's not he's not always on rhythm, he's not always on time, but there is a playmaking ability there that is that's pretty exciting, I think. And and so it's it's the scheme, it's the fact that it was taught so well, like you see guys buying into the scheme and then the elevation of the offense through young guys developing, but specifically CJ Stroud's kind of embracing this offense and and like the drive and the hunger to be great, I guess, is pretty yeah. exciting. So one thing that stuck with me from the reception perception podcast that we did um, a couple of weeks ago is how um, you know Matt talked about uh, you gotta you gotta put guys where they're great and they you know they when it's he tracks it, it's like nico collins great outbreaking routes st dale yeah. great inbreaking routes and like yeah. they have those guys run the routes that they're good at and like that right. understanding of personnel i think is something that speaks really well to slowick um and obviously the development of the young quarterback and the ability whatever input he had on selecting him in the first place um i think is obviously uh pretty good because they you know they took a risk in making the trade with arizona to take both him and will anderson um but also to your point like uh, Orlovsky had a great line Monday on ESPN. He's like, I don't know how many dudes right now are better in the league than CJ Stroud, but yeah. it's less than his jersey number. And he wears yeah. seven. So we're talking about a top seven quarterback easily in the NFL as a rookie. Um, that's That matters a lot. But, he, you know, it, it's about, to me, the thing that I've thought about a lot too recently with like Belichick and Brady, for instance, as Belichick's career, you know, comes, or at least his run in New England comes to an end. We'll see if his career comes to an end. Um but like it's so important for a coach and a quarterback to find their muse like mm. the idea that like a quarterback or a coach is just great no matter what yeah. is like there are guys that that are right like peyton manning was gonna be great pretty much wherever he went like he was just one of the most special prospects to ever play in the 105 year history of the league um you know six six got a huge arm the smartest guy to ever ever strap it up right um, but he finds like a great muse for this back half of his career in Denver with Adam Gase yeah. and Gase actually can't really work with anybody else, but that doesn't mean he wasn't good with Peyton. Right. Um, you know, Belichick and Brady, I think were perfect for each other. I don't think either man is nearly as successful without the other. Um, would they both have won? Maybe they're both great, but they were perfect together because they complemented each other so well. And I think that's what we're going to find out over these next couple of years. We're like, Sloic and Stroud, the perfect muses for each other. Are they both like just dudes at their jobs? And 
I'm pretty sure Stroud's a dude, and he's going to be just fine with whatever offensive coordinator, um, especially because I think D'Amico's going to be smart enough to find someone else off the Kyle tree and try yeah. to you know keep some continuity there when he loses Slowick as a head coach. But I think what we're going to find out is, like, can Slowick do it without Stroud? And obviously a head coach is a different job than an offensive coordinator anyway, so there's that. But um, that idea of, like, is it the perfect fit, or are they both independently just phenomenal? Yeah, and I, th- I think that's a great question. And again, like you got to give Sloak some credit, like for getting it installed. And you know, yeah. they don't leverage him a ton. Like they, they they lean on him a lot, but they do a good job of saying, like, hey, like, hey, we're gonna run. We've run three keepers. Now we're gonna run Jolt, right? We're gonna run Dalton Schultz on that. You know, looks like a corner. Then he runs the post. Easy throw. Protection's easy for the O line. Great time to call that play. We're in kind of that high strike zone area. Great job, you know, and I think like that's the thing. And like they've done a good job of manufacturing big explosive plays. And and that's that is a huge element to what they're doing really well. And that's schematic. That's an offensive identity yeah. thing, you know, and they they run 40. I think they ran 45 offensive plays and, you know, like they find all these explosives. They run the ball relatively effectively. Like there's something to that, right? There's something to saying, hey, man, we need you to be great on. 20% of these offensive plays and he right. does and he does he did a great job of that you know well so. and to Slowick's credit too like he realizes how special Stroud is and so there's like there's one play uh that I and maybe it is Jolt um but there's one play that I remember one of the analysts talking about where it's kind of a play action uh and typically they have the guy so like play action you boot out to the right and typically you have uh the tight end run or the slot receiver the corner run yeah. a corner it's, it's the play. We're they the run play. a yeah yeah, instead, because and the reason is because you want to have the the receiver run to the side where the quarterback is because it's a shorter and thus easier throw. Well, they right. know Stroud's got arm strength for days, so they haven't run a corner post. The safety's always jumped the corner, and then all of a sudden, you know, he's going back to the post, and Stroud has the arm strength to get it over the top. That's design. That's understanding yeah. your playmakers. That's understanding that if uh, if Case Keenum's got to get in the game, you're probably not calling that, uh, right. but you can call it for for CJ Stroud. Uh, when your starter's in. So there, there's little things like that in terms of using your personnel that I think Slowick already shows obviously a great feel for. And, um, you know, that's a heck of a job by Houston. And no matter what happens to them next weekend, because um, they're going into Baltimore and good luck with it's that. Gonna be tough. Um, it's gonna be tough. You know, good luck with that. But they've already had so far and away a better season than anyone anticipated, maybe even including them. Uh, but if not, anybody but them thought dolphins and chiefs i feel so bad for the dolphins um, yeah. because they are just going to get trashed by national media and it's already started they're soft Dol- miami can't go in the cold you know, they fell apart in december again and it's like they did fall apart literally they are yeah. so banged up like this is mm-hmm. not the same team that it was in october november and to pretend otherwise is to be disingenuous to me and i don't know how much more i take out of this game than that like the dolphins are understaffed by a lot yeah. Yeah. I, I heard a crazy statistic and it was, uh, what was it? It was three and five, which is, um, Drew Brees' road record, right? In the playoffs. And then it was two yeah. and five, which is Peyton Manning's road record in the playoffs. Right. And those are precision timing offenses led by both those guys. And that's what you want, right? You want offenses that are led in a very high level way by the best player on the field. Miami is a precision timing offense. And so I think the, the, the takeaway I have after wa- watching that game is you don't want to play road games in the playoffs. And they had an opportunity playing the Bills the last game of the season um, to kind of make sure that they were in a position to play that game at home because that's where they're built to play. They want to play in a warm environment. And there's nothing wrong with that, like that team structure. I just mentioned two players who are Hall of Fame caliber players that 
were not good on the road in their whole playoff yeah. career. One of the best and they, quarterbacks they played, ever. Yeah, they played in domes. domes. Uh, or I guess Peyton in Denver, but yeah. But you know what I'm saying? like that, And yeah. I think there's something to that. Like when you are a precision timing offense with a quarterback who doesn't have a cannon for an arm, which is a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL, this is going to be the result. I also think – you know, you get so much from that Miami offense elevation in terms of scheme and the run game. Sometimes I, th- I think after watching that Detroit game, sometimes you just got to line up, put your, put your mouthpiece in and be like, Hey, we're going to beat you. And I think that's something that is, again, we'll talk about that when we get to the Detroit game, but it, it's, you can't overvalue that kind of physical identity. You can't always find the perfect angles. You can't always find the perfect setup um, to, to maximize. And I think they do lean on that quite a bit. Um, Miami does, and rightfully so. They got they got the playmakers in the scheme to get that done. But yeah. that was a, that was the thing I took away. Is like this is this is they're not built. Most teams are not built to play in weather games like this. And I think it's a credit to Andy Reid to kind of always keeping the ability to run the football in the bag. You know, you always got to have it. You always got to be able to do it at a high level. Kudos to Isaiah Pachenko. Like the way he runs is perfect for that. Just violent right. as hell, and no one wants to tackle him and make that game feel. Like it's negative a hundred because he's running so hard. So yeah, and you always get playoff Pat too, who runs more. He only had two carries in the game, but he has that big twenty-eight yard scamper. Sure. Uh, the other one's a, a thirteen yarder. Um, you know, Clyde Edwards-Alaire has seven carries and that, a three-yard average, but you just you know they ran it thirty-four times. Yeah. Um, now, granted, they threw it forty-one. Uh, they ran a billion plays, but um, the other thing I think you take away is like the Chiefs are a real contender still, but it's. Because they have it's different. one of the best defenses in the league. Like they're so good on that side of the ball. They're physical. Um, the Tyreek and- Hill getting jammed by Legarius Sneed, where he doesn't even get off the line, and then yeah. uh, Tyreek uh, quote tweeting it afterwards saying he jammed my ass to Cancun. Um, <laughs> pretty funny. Um, but it, like that's who they are. Um, yeah. And it's Chris Jones and company up front. They've got dudes who play hard as hell on the back end. Their linebackers are solid. They're just a good. They're just a good defensive football team. And I think, like, I'm glad you brought the defense up. Lots of young pieces that have developed there. Yeah. Outside of Chris Jones, the secondary. I've heard that defense is really hard to learn. They've got the coaches in place, and we're always trying to bring it back to the Commanders, right? They've right. got good coaching that have developed and coached this scheme up to maximize the guys they got in the back end, right? And I think that's so important. It's like you can't rely on the big free agent splash. You got to develop guys, and right. I think that defense is a perfect understanding of developing guys and look at look at the the leading receiver i think for kansas city is a rookie right yeah rashi like, rice yeah like getting a rookie player in there to make plays for you it's it's a big deal and i think you're seeing you saw it with houston you're seeing it with uh with kansas city one of the kind of the perennial powerhouses is youth development on a roster and it's um you know and you think of spags over the years by the way like think about what he did internally with the guys he developed in new york back in the yeah. day Right. OCU Manura is Justin right. Tucks. Like those guys were all in house. Yeah. And I think, like, you know, we didn't even mention, uh, gosh, uh, the, the linebacker for Houston who had the two pick sixes. Like he was a guy, a developmental linebacker that has now developed and he's making a ton of plays for you. So it, it just it shows you just how important if you want to make a playoff contending team, it's not just talent acquisition, it's talent development and then teaching that talent how to execute in that scheme, which I think is. Kansas City's defense is the perfect model for that. Yeah, talking about Christian Harris had the Thank had you, one Christian of the, the pick sixes, and Stephen Nelson had the other one, there uh, the go. DB. But I think Harris was like had the pressure on that play or something. He like had a that, sack. Yeah, yeah. He, he, yeah, like he had a great game. But again, yeah, a developmental sure. guy that no one was sure how he'd pan out. But you get D'Amico Ryan's with him and and a good defensive staff, and you get something better. Which I think again, 
in the context of the commanders, the GM hire is a big deal, right? Adam yeah. Peters is a big deal, but it's it's the ne- the next couple of hires are going to be huge. So of course, uh, and, and, and sorry to cut you off, but Scott Pioli yeah. on that when he called in said understanding that it's the coach's team is yes. something that you see here as well too. So for sure, um, same thing in Green Bay. By the way, um, mm. they yeah. realize that Matt Lafleur is that dude, and yeah. he has built an incredible incredible team. Yeah. Um, 48-32, the final score. Um, Dallas just – Dak was awful early yeah. in this game. The defense was awful early in this game. And really, the defense never got better. Dak got a lot better. Dak's second half was pretty impressive, actually. Um, yeah. It's not going to help him in terms of the narrative case, nor is it going to help the $59 million cap hit that he is uh, set to incur for them next season. And they'll, I'm sure, try to work on a restructure or something. Um, but McCarthy's job up in the air for sure. Um, I think part of the reason it was up in the air is because Jerry Jones really doesn't want to lose Dan Quinn to be a head coach somewhere else. Mm. Now it's like, well, do we want to really replace Mike McCarthy uh, with Dan Quinn, whose defense just gave up 48 points in a playoff game? Um, That's a yikes, man. What'd you see in this one? So I think the thing that stuck out to me just rewatching it this morning was just you know, how good love was. And again, so love, good. love in specific situations. And again, he sat for a year, he developed, we, we're going to say this word at nauseum, got developed yeah. guys, right? But a couple of their biggest plays early in the game are off schedule, him just buying a little time. This, this vaunted pass rush of the Dallas Cowboys wins. He buys a little time, makes the guy miss, bits a huge, huge completion on third down. That's two consecutive third downs he does that on. So uh, obviously there's the X's and O's. There's the you know, this Kyle Shanahan offense that I think Matt LaFleur does an excellent job of executing, right? But it's also getting those guys, like the Jimmys and Joes, right? It's so important. And they talk about developing young talent. They have two rookie They're the youngest team in the league. Two rookie tight ends, young receivers. Like, all of them are under, like, 23 years old. It's crazy to look at. Insulating the offensive line, leaning on Aaron Jones when you have to. Great job. And then defensively, just, again, they have young pieces that have stepped up in the playoff game and give credit to you want there. Um, but I, I think I think when you look at these – and the other thing about that that Green Bay team is there were a lot of different targets. There's a lot of different targets in the Houston game. There's a lot of different targets offensively that they can go to. And when you compare that to the Dallas Cowboys, right, with CeeDee Lamb, who is a little bit off, right, that connection, which has been so good for them, is a little bit off early in the game. And all of a sudden the offense looks terrible, you know, like lean on other people. And I think that's what not having a true, a true one in Green Bay forced Jordan Love to do a little bit was like, hey, I got to distribute the ball. And in this game, it was extremely important and extremely powerful because it, it led to a very productive offensive day for them. So, yeah. Do you think that was it for McCarthy and Dallas? Slash, I don't know. Let me even ask you. Let me ask you this. This is a better question. Would you like they've won 12 games three straight years and can't when in the playoffs to me i'm like i'd rather take my chances with someone who's consistently winning 12 games i think right. i think the team was better this year than they were in the previous couple of years i think mccarthy unlocked dak at a new level they got to figure out the playoff thing but i would not i would not move on i would try to yeah. be like you know what we're gonna play the continuity game here um and some stability but jerry jones is an ira very different people. <laughs> you know, I, I probably agree with that. I think those 12 wins are really hard to come by. I just think it's also, this is where like having a, a GM and coach conversation would be really important to me. Like, and so what I mean by that is when you look at when Dak's not going well, like, can you run the ball? And yeah. they can't, right? They, what are your other options? And I think, you know, Detroit, LA, there were moments in that game where Matthew Stafford, despite his greatness, 
um, struggling and they ran the ball really effectively, right? Same thing with Detroit, right? Same thing with Houston. All these games where Green Bay ran the ball when they had to run the ball and having that as a piece of your identity, right? And so like I heard something on a podcast uh, yesterday uh, talking about how like not having that kind of bruising, imposing Zeke Elliott type runner negatively affects them offensively. And I think kind of saying, hey, is there somebody we can bring in? You know, maybe it's Derrick Henry that lets us stay efficient when we got to have it. Um, It's a conversation that, again, the GM and the coach have to have and say, like, this is an area where we're weak. We have to kind of prepare for these contingencies. But I do agree. Mike McCarthy seems like the guy that you would bet on. It's hard to win 12 games in the NFL. Now you got to win playoff games. But I think, like, this is a personnel, Jimmy's and Joe's, talent development situation again for them where they don't have anybody outside of CD lamb. Really? They, they have people on the roster, but no one that Dak felt comfortable going to obviously Ferguson late in that game. But, yeah. um, but I think, I think that's something I would look at is like, how, what are some other ways we can win football games if Dak's not playing at an MVP caliber level? Right. Um, I do think though, if they do move on, Belichick becomes real interesting. There. Oh, like that I is bet. one of the, that is one of the fits where I'm actually like, no, that'd be a good idea. Yeah. Uh, Cause the roster is built. Um, and right. you know, obviously that's been the problem for Belichick the last couple of years. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. All right, uh, Rams-Lions. This is probably game of the weekend. This one was so phenomenal, good. phenomenal football game. Super stressful. Um, but the Lions, I mean, it, really this comes down to the Lions converted in the red zone. The Rams didn't. That's the right. football game. No, um, 100%. And defensively, they stood up when they had to. Um, but you see that red zone execution, like a lot of that is real. And th- this is red. Like, I think, I think offensive coordinating matters in the red zone more than anywhere else on the field because you have to create in a way that you can Correct. just kind of rely on the space and guys to win um, in other areas of the field. And Ben Johnson put on a clinic uh, down there in the red zone and 24-23, they ultimately get it done. I, I totally agree. I think, you know, that's that's the main point of the game. But I think you just see, you know, Ben Johnson, obviously a guy on the, on the candidate list here, um, at least been reported on the Kendall list here. And I think the thing I took away from that game from his perspective is, man, that roster, that offense is good. Man, <laughs> That offense has a lot of pieces. Offensive line, they're excellent. Running back, excellent. Receivers, they've, again, some guys have come along, and I think that is the scheme elevation. But Sam Laporta, excellent, right? Amon Ross St. Brown, just excellent, you know? And I think, like, that, you know, when you're building a team like like Detroit, and obviously Dan Campbell and the GM there worked really hard on that. Yeah, like Brad Holmes, you got, shout out to him. You got, I don't care how good of a coach you are. You got to get the talent in place. And I, and I think, to your point, like – uh, Johnson deserves a ton of credit. Dan Quinn deserves a ton of credit. Dan, Dan Campbell, excuse me, deserves a ton of credit. Like they're in the low red. It's fourth and one. They throw a pass to Sam Laporta for a touchdown in a man. That play is so cool. Like yeah. they get, they find a way with motion sh- or with like a little shift in personnel yep. to get a guy man. who has no business being in coverage on Sam Laporta. Yeah. And like it's easy. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's stealing. And I think like it's part of, again, like your identity and playing against expectations. Like I think everybody expects them to run the football down there. 
right. and they're like, nope, we're going to shift to this. We're going to get in a, a bunch with our tight ends who, again, great job in talent acquisition, finding guys that can win in one-on-one situations at a high level. And that you, you find good matchups that way. And I, again, that's talent, that's coaching, that's getting that dude who is an excellent football player in Sam Laporta. So, and I, I even think about Gibbs, like we can't like leave this game, not talk about Gibbs. Like there's yeah. a couple of check downs in this game where it's a five yard, nothing play. He turns it into an 18 yard, 15 yard explosive first down, keeping the offense on schedule. And so like, while that, act, that while that decision was much maligned, like he's a good football player that yeah. elevates that offense. And, but they knew what they wanted. And I think yeah, that's, that's like they knew what point. they needed. And I think that's the overall takeaway when we talk about Peters and the next head coach and like what Pioli said to me last week in terms of do you have that fit and that understanding between front office and talent acquisition and coach is like, do you know what you need? They yeah. needed that player. They needed Jameer Gibbs. Um, yeah. And they went out and got him. Um, they knew they needed Sam Laporta. They went out and got him. Um, they're not just like, ah, who's the best player available on Mel Kuyper's board um, or on our own board. It's like, we're building a board to make sure that we get the dudes that we want. Yeah. Um, and we've got these things in place and we need this other thing. But it's for them, the, the thing that I think is common with a lot of these teams is like, they they got, they started on the O-line. Um, yeah. They have at least, I feel like a lot of these teams also have like at least one elite offensive lineman and it's that helps true. the rest of your guys a lot. Like, yeah. but there's Laramie Tunzel in, in Houston. Great. Uh, Panay Sewell in Detroit. Like, if you can have one, it makes the other four's job a lot easier. I mean, that yes. was for years here. Like, I really don't know how great, like obviously Sheriff was great. Morgan, when he was healthy, was really good. Yeah. But like having Trent as the anchor on that left side, it made everyone else's job so much easier. Yeah. And I think that is that is something that we should we're gonna do like a how they built it podcast kind of yeah. if you will um, NPR don't come after us for the trademark <laughs> on the, the how they built it but like how they built it contender edition uh, next week when we're down to four teams and I I wonder how many of those teams wind up with with that like they have one all pro level offensive lineman who makes everyone else's job way easier yeah no I think that's a great that's a great idea because I think like when you look at Houston's O-line it's not like oh my gosh they've got five murderers they've got Laramie Tunsil who's maybe the best pass protecting left left tackle in football I'm not the best tackle but he's very good yeah. at that one thing he takes Miles Garrett out of the game with an excellent performance and deserves so much credit but it uh, it helps those other guys kind of settle in find good matchups you get a bunch of double teams over there which is awesome so um yeah man and I think you know Sean McVay, ton of credit. And you talk about talent acquisition and identifying guys. Like, I'm sure everyone's seen that thing about Puka Nakua, right? Yeah, that was incredible, where, the video. Where it's like his, his vision for that player was so strong. And now he didn't. He probably didn't think he's going to, you know, break all these rookie records. But, right. like, and, you know, again, like I was listening to something the other day where it's like the reason you get excited if you're the commanders about Adam Peters is he's worked with Kyle who has a very clear vision of what he wants and what he needs for an offense. And you see that also with Sean, right? And all of the people that come off of his tree, he's got a very clear vision of the type of skill set that he wants and is valuable in that system. And then now you, as the town evaluator, can go out and say, I think this guy does it the best. Player X, who's going to be a fourth round pick, does it the best. Let's target that guy in that round and make sure we make that happen for our head coach. So I think that's where, where you again, like, they're, like with like with uh, Kyle, you know Puka Nakua or not Puka Nakua, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, mm -hmm. guys. George Kittle's a fourth round pick. Like guys that again fit what you need offensively, and it makes a better product. And I think like again, Sean, his relationship with the GM there, you see that's a young team. It's a very young roster, 
but they have an elite, like Matt Stafford is amazing. Like watching him is awesome. Very yeah. good at football. And then all the young pieces that they've identified and inserted and, and, and got growth from. And I think that's For like, sure. again, like what makes that so, so impressive. And it's, it, I, it feels like a very common theme. A lot of offensive playmakers, right? A lot of different ways for, for those winning sides. Guys have developed and a very clear vision of what we need. Like think about like Sam Laporta, tough, hardworking, loves football. Like could that be more of a Detroit player? And then that's all the guys on that offense, right? They have very, sure. very clear vision there too. So No doubt. All right. Uh, Steelers and Bills. I, I don't think there's a ton to talk about here. Like Steelers, they're, especially without TJ Watt, like they didn't have yeah. a chance. Right. Um, you know, elite players matter a lot. And TJ Watt, when their record with and without him is pretty remarkable. Yeah. Um, we'll obviously see what happens with Tomlin. Uh, because if he, if Tomlin becomes available, you bet your bottom dollar that the commanders are going to want to talk to him. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll see on that. Uh, and then Eagles and Buccaneers. Um, man, I know you want to talk about the Eagles and, and what fell apart there. Um, shout out to the Bucks, uh, playing well and, and Canellis and that offense yeah. doing great things. Um, but for Philadelphia, just a sad end. Um, Jason Kelsey retiring like this. This is the end of an era in Philadelphia in some ways. You know, we'll see how, how they can replace him. And they still will have the rest of that O-line. Um, but, I mean, no A.J. Brown. Jalen just did not look good in the latter mm -hmm. half of the season. Like, I'd be nervous if I was in Philly with him, um, which I hate because he seems like an A-plus dude. But um it's it's not pretty um and that defense was something even worse than that that defense was horrendous the last yeah. seven weeks of the season and uh if Sirianni keeps his job he's gonna have new coordinators probably for the second straight year put it that way um yeah. but uh, what did what do you take out of Philly's collapse yeah I mean I think the thing and we've talked about this off air quite a bit and so I think the thing that <clears throat> people forget about Philly is they lost both their coordinators and coaching is important in maximizing talent. Like it just is. And I think I look at what they, how they changed from last year to this year, specifically offensively. And to me that, that regression, I don't want to say was inevitable, but it felt like it was always just around the corner next game. Like it never was super clean early in the season and Jalen Hurts was playing out of his mind. And so the second, there's a little bit of a hiccup from him, right? The second teams kind of figure out the patterns a little bit better. Like there was just nowhere to go with the football. And so much of what they did last year was built on kind of this principle that you see with San Fran. We're going to run the ball. We're going to get simple coverage structures. We're going to really lean on our, on the best group position group on the field, which is the offensive line. And that's what we're going to do. And I think there was a departure from that, you know, with the new OC, um, and Gannon, you know, I think his departure is significant. Like that defense was never super dynamic, right? They were very kind of solid and straightforward, but obviously he was coaching it at a very high level to maximize those guys. So, you know, it's, it's looking at it from a commander's perspective. It just shows you like you can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have the coaches that are putting those guys in the right, the right situations to be successful and continuing to foster that growth from those players, you're going to see a pretty heavy duty regression. And there are very few players that are scheme proof, you know, that are, that are coaching proof. And uh, what I mean by that is like, you know, Trent Williams can play in outside zones, gap scheme, whatever. Right. He's, yeah. that's what makes him him. Right. But you know, Tyler Columbus, who shout out to 2012 was excellent, <laughs> was excellent in that kind of zone read heavy play action pass system, but couldn't do it in other systems because like he, he was insulated in this very specific way in that system. So I look at that and I kind of say like, that's what you see you're seeing here is guys, leaving what was working 
not developing the talent in a safe environment, much like the, uh, Baltimore did with Lamar Jackson. Like they stayed with uh, Roman for a little bit longer than I think a lot of people wanted, I think to make sure that he was ready to go, Lamar Jackson. And then now Lamar is Lamar. And I think they thought Hertz was maybe a little bit accelerated. They changed their offensive identity. And to me, this, is, idea. this is the result. Yeah, this is the result. Yeah. Um, I just stick with what works. Don't overthink it. That's that's where football coaches get themselves in trouble all the time. And, and certainly this is uh, an example of that. And we'll see just how much trouble um, you could wind up, depending on what happens in Pittsburgh, Dallas, Philly, you could wind up with as many job openings basically from uh, playoff teams as yeah. you did uh, in the immediate aftermath of the season. Um, I, I guess some of them stacked up eventually. And obviously there's, there's ultimately eight with some of the ones that opened during the season as well. But um, you could have a ton of, of openings. So we'll see uh, with how that goes. And obviously that's a big deal for Washington because that's going to affect the market of where these top guys want to go. Um, but right now, Washington, I think, is the best job available. And we'll see if that is true by, you know, this afternoon uh, when when some of the owners and some of these places or whatever Tomlin wants to do, um, you know, figure out that that future. All right. Again, Adam Peters press conference, two o'clock today on 106.7, the fan of the team, 980 reaction for me on the radio at four. We'll probably talk a little bit about it on the second pod this week as well. Um, this week is still a little crazy with the schedule because of the holiday, but our plan moving forward for the off season record on Mondays and Wednesdays, release Tuesday, Thursday mornings. Um, sometimes, you know, if there's stuff that's happening, you might do a bonus pod. So make sure that you're subscribed to not miss anything that we do here at Take Command. Uh, that'll do for our show today. For Logan Paulson, I am Craig Hoffman, and we'll see you next time on Take Command.